You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. This is a deeply disturbing day. The president, myself, many of us are deeply concerned and troubled by the Supreme Court's ruling. We cannot allow New York to become a wild, wild west. On this vote, the yeas are 65, the nays are 34. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. This idea that they don't have oil to drill is simply not true. He's urging oil companies to use their profits to increase output. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The Supreme Court strikes down the New York gun control law. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as the high court rules, even as the U.S. Senate prepares to pass the first gun safety law in decades. And as the White House today meets with big oil executives to ask for more production, we focus this hour on gas and guns. And we'll be joined by Congressman Kevin Brady of Texas, ranking member of the House Ways and Means Committee, as well by Senator Rob Portman of Ohio, one of the 14 Republicans who have endorsed the gun bill. Analysis from our signature panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis will be with us for the hour. And we have twin leads today. Thanks for joining us. Two lead stories that we'll be discussing in a moment with Congressman Kevin Brady, the first a 6-3 ruling by the Supreme Court that broke the middle of the day on New York's law, New York's gun law, that limited who could carry a handgun in public here. New York was one of at least six states, as you've been hearing on Bloomberg, California, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Maryland, and Hawaii, with laws that prevented most people from legally carrying a handgun. So this could have sweeping effects on those states that I just mentioned. We just got reaction from President Biden, who was attending another event inside the White House, asked about this. There are, the gun laws in 40 of these states are still in place based on the decision. Not good enough, but it's, uh, I think it's a bad decision. I think it's, I think it's not reasoned accurately, but I'm disappointed. Disappointed, as deeply disappointed were the words in the formal White House statement earlier. President Biden writing that it contradicts both common sense and the Constitution, and he's urging states to continue to enact laws that he says will make their citizens and communities safer for gun violence. This comes on the same day the White House met with the heads of the big oil companies. And this is where we begin with Congressman Kevin Brady of Texas, of course, ranking member on the House Ways and Means Committee. It's great to have you back, Congressman. If we can pick through these one at a time in terms of the Supreme Court ruling, first of all, do you agree with that ruling? And what do you see happening in terms of a legislative answer if there is one? 
Yeah, Joe, thank you. Thanks for having me. I always love being on. So, you know, first, I, I do think it was the correct um, decision. Um, clearly, Second Amendment does um, apply and is available for those who want to carry a uh, a weapon self-defense outside their home. I think that makes sense. But let me give you my experience. So Texas has had a concealed weapon um, law for more than a quarter of a century. More than a million people have uh, have gone through the courses and uh, do carry concealed weapons. You know, the concerns, the truth of the matter is um, it, that ability to arm yourself has been key in stopping a number of shootings uh, in in uh, our state mm-hmm. uh, and for self-defense. Uh, all the concerns that were raised about there being, you know, rage-type shootings or yeah. abusive just ne- has never occurred in a quarter of a century uh, in our state. Uh, to that point. And so, you know, I think the president's uh, concern that this is dangerous or reckless, it just in mm-hmm. real life, in real states where uh, this has been around for an awfully long time, you know, none of those concerns have occurred. Well, I know there have been a lot of uh, worries about increased crime rates and particularly gun violence in our cities. And when you look at the states that are at issue here, California, Add L.A. and San Francisco, Massachusetts. You've got Boston, Newark, New Jersey. Think of Baltimore, Maryland. They could all be in that that same group. Do you have faith that those cities will remain secure if that happens? If if not more secure, I I don't understand the correlation. We haven't seen, for example, um, out of the eight most deadly cities in America the last two years, yeah. seven of those cities are in those model gun control states: New York, California. Maryland, Illinois, and and, and others. Mm-hmm. Only one, Houston, is outside of. We've seen a, a major increase in crime. We think part of it tied to our to our uh, proximity to the border uh, here the last two years. So, no, I, I I don't think there are concerns to be raised. Frankly, in those cities, people who get a concealed carry license, mm-hmm. you know, who do the training, uh, go through the legal process. Uh, they are not the ones committing crimes. Well, yeah, many of those guns are coming in illegally, of course, and we still haven't gotten to that, Congressman. How do you do it? Well, so run that by me again. Not For those who have concealed carry weapons, while you don't have to have a weapon, you know, the majority of them, when they sure. start the training for the lesson, uh, for the for the license itself, tend to have their own things. So those aren't those are not bought uh, illegally, and you're going through a process. So it's a uh, no. I just know, mean in terms of the amount of illegal guns that are used in. Uh, yeah. In crimes in cities, uh, we never we never quite get there with whether it's this bill that's going through the Senate right now that wouldn't be able to get to it. And obviously, uh, well, this Supreme Court ruling is irrelevant because illegal guns are already on the street. Yeah. Well, one thing we do know, I think, nationwide is that, unfortunately, gun laws, you know, tend to affect gun control laws, tend to affect those who are eligible in, in law abiding the, the criminals uh, tend to uh, ignore all of that. Mm-hmm. I do think uh, when I look at the gun control bill coming out of the Senate, what I think is 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 helpful is the money for mental health and crisis intervention. Yeah. If it is used properly, and, and Joe, we are, this thing's being kind of rushed, so we're, you know, spending a lot of time figuring out, will, will that help? I hope it does. Secondly, I think hardening the schools makes good sense. And, and uh, third, I think... Uh, Upping the penalties 
on those who straw purchase, who are buying mm-hmm. specifically to give to someone, yep. you know, who is ineligible, normally criminals there. You know, I really think that is that is very helpful. So yeah. would you vote for it in the House if it was a similar version? No. Uh, the red, uh, I think the red uh, flag laws, one, they're unconstitutional uh, and, and will be litigated in the courts forever. Two, I did notice that of those seven of the eight uh, most violent cities in America, most of them are states with red flag laws. So it's not curtailing either or uh, violence or mass shootings in those states. Well, so you're a no vote. Uh, Congressman Brady, I want to ask you about the oil picture today as well. This is normally where we begin our conversation, yeah. uh, and, and it's just been one of those days today. You've got the CEOs of Exxon, Chevron, BP, on down, and all the, to the seven top refiners at the White House today, not with President Biden, uh, but with Secretary Granholm. We just got a little bit of a readout uh, from the press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, on exactly what was discussed in the room. This is an ongoing dialogue. I think you've heard, some of you may have heard from uh, the oil companies themselves uh, saying it was productive. Uh, And so what what Secretary Granholm has called on is for her team uh, to continue having conversations uh, with the oil companies. It doesn't sound like there was much of a conclusion. We did hear from the CEO of Chevron, Congressman, who also did say that it was a productive meeting. Uh, but nobody is is getting exactly what they want here. What does the White House need to do to help these companies increase production? Yeah, so I, you know, I think most people's takes on that. This was just a show pony type of uh, of uh, meeting arranged by the administration that's playing both sides of the fence. Has been condemning and trying to kill these jobs in oil and gas in the U.S. But but also working with the climate change. Um, leaders touting the fact that they are going after these industries and these jobs. So I, I don't know that it has credibility uh, on the fuel price or, or production area. But I do know this. Uh, the one country right now that is uh, benefiting the most is Russia, whose production has increased dramatically, selling more now than they did before the, the their war on Ukraine. It's frustrating because I just feel like, and in Texas, we feel like we can do more uh, uh, on traditional oil and gas uh, here in America, but it just seems like we're stymied between, you know, canceling the leases onshore and offshore, yeah. um, pausing uh, the permitting for this. The Biden White House makes it awfully tough to produce more here in America. Congressman Kevin Brady, Republican from Texas, the ranking member of the House Ways and Means Committee. Thanks for being with us, okay. Congressman. Thank you, As Joe. always, it's always a pleasure. We're going to be speaking next with Senator Rob Portman. Republican from Ohio, who, again, is one of the more than dozen Republican members of the Senate who actually signed on to that bill, uh, which today moved forward in the chamber. On this vote, the yeas are 65, the nays are 34, three-fifths of the senators duly chosen and sworn having voted in the affirmative. The motion is agreed to. Cloture having been invoked, the motion to refer the amendments thereto fail. And so it moves on to a final vote next as we assemble our panel. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. I just want to hear from both of you quickly on this. And we'll start, Jeannie, uh, with you on the Supreme Court ruling happening at the same time as this vote in the Senate. There's something about two Americas here. Maybe you can write the column, no? 
Yeah, th that's right. And I think big questions obviously remain. The Supreme Court has decided that Second Amendment has been a second class right and citizen for too long now. They're moving it. They want it to be a first class right. But of course, that raises many questions as to what is going to be allowed in terms of regulation and what's not. And that is left to come. And the Senate is working on this bill. It's going to be ensure there is litigation for years to come on this question of regulation of this right with this conservative court. Yeah. Rick, your thought on this, uh, the president is encouraging states to start enacting laws uh, now to mitigate the impacts of uh, of this ruling by the Supreme Court. Is that going to unleash a kind of a new movement in blue states or, or have that has that already happened? They've already gotten ahead of this. It's the rest of the country we're talking about. Yeah, I think Congressman Brady uh, uh, painted the right picture, which is in states that uh, can pass these kinds of uh, laws that limit concealing carry. Uh, they have already done so, right? And 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 but the vast majority of states have 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 passed laws that allow that and have mm -hmm. some kind of regulatory regime around it. So, so it's not like this isn't been a debate going on for some time. In fact, some of these laws are 20 years old, uh, as he pointed out. They've had concealed carry in Texas for 25 years. Yeah. So so for the president to go out and say, "Wow, let's unleash a, a flurry of regulation around this," well, that's what these states have been doing, and and part of actually why the Supreme Court took up this case is because you have a patchwork quilt of laws around this one issue, regardless of whether you like it or not, it has created a lot of confusion within the community around what is the law. And, and courts are choked with these kinds of appeals. Uh, that will now lessen because yeah. the Supreme Court has made a decision. We heard from uh, New York Governor Kathy Hochul on this today. I'm prepared to call the legislature back into session to deal with this. We've been in contact with the leadership. We're just looking at dates. Everyone wants a little bit of time to digest this. We know as well she spoke with the president today, Jeannie. He said so when he was talking with reporters. He had just spoken with the governor of New York earlier. What's the next step in that state specifically? Specifically in New York, they are going to come back into session, I believe, and they are going to try to rewrite this law so it meets the Supreme Court's requirement, which is that they impose objective criteria. Yeah. Right now in my state, we have subjective requirements, which means an individual decides whether you meet it or not. It, objective criteria, according to at least Thomas's the letter of the, what he wrote, it are, are going to be allowed. And that's what I think New York is going to try to meet in this next go around. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis, our signature panel with us for the hour and we'll be back to speak with them about the gas component of our gas and guns hour. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. 
I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. But what we're going to do next is bring you inside the Senate here in a special conversation that I had today with Senator Rob Portman, Republican from Ohio, who, again, backed the gun bill. We had just learned at this point when we were speaking about the Supreme Court ruling, and I, I began by asking him if this ruling could impact the, the text, the language of the bill itself or the outcome in the vote. You know, I've just briefly looked at the Supreme Court decision, but I don't think it has any bearing at all on the legislation. Uh, the Supreme Court focused on the fact that the New York law did not uh, have the proper protections because it required uh, cause in order to, um, to to get a license to mm-hmm. uh, to have concealed carry. We don't get into those issues at all. Our bill is focused really on three things. One is, is the mental health issue, which mm-hmm. I think everybody agrees now is something that needs to be addressed. And by the way, I believe it needed to be addressed whether we were doing this in the context of a gun safety bill or not. Yeah. Uh, it's a substantial part of the bill. It's the majority of the funding. It's about the fact that there are people, including this, this young man who committed these horrific acts in Texas who are mentally ill, need treatment, and somehow they're able to get weapons and they shouldn't be able to. So mm-hmm. it's, it's providing more access to mental health and also being sure those mental health records are in the national background system. And then second is school safety, which I think, again, parents all over the country agree with. We need yeah. to harden our schools and protect our kids. And then third, there are some very specific things that relate to the kinds of problems we've seen in relationship to these mass shootings. Mm-hmm. Uh, one would be ensuring that people's records who are between 18 and <clears throat> 21 years old are actually provided yes. to the background system. And of course they should be. These are records of criminal activity, records uh, of uh, mental health history. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, many of these records are <clears throat> not being provided. They're sealed or even expunged. They need to be provided specifically to the systems. Th- th- those are the main parts of the bill. Yeah, There is no new red flag at the national level. Understood. That's, that's been misinterpreted by some. Are you surprised that some of your Republican colleagues, though, are, are either no votes or skeptical because of the language in the in the red flag component? I know you spent a lot of time on due process. What would you tell them uh, about their concerns before they well, vote? Well, in, in some respects, working uh, with some of the uh, groups that support the right uh, of people you know, to be able to bear arms, um, there is more protection now because you do have this due process in place. Mm-hmm. Uh, for states like Ohio, we do not have a red flag law. This does not create a red flag law. There's no federal red flag law. Mm-hmm. It would give Ohio the ability to access more funding for things like drug courts or other interventions, <clears throat> things like veterans courts. Um, but if they did that, provided that uh, if they got the funding for that, then they would have to ensure that there were due process rights in place even for those programs. Yeah. So it's not a new red flag law uh, at the federal level. That's that's something that uh, people have incorrectly said at the, about the legislation. Uh, but it does help in terms of this mental health issue, and I think that's mm-hmm. probably the biggest impact this is going to have on our country. It's like you're one of 14 Republicans supporting the bill at this point. Could that number be higher? And, and when is this done? Tomorrow? I think it'll be done tonight or tomorrow, and the number will be higher than 14. We don't know how much higher. Um, but there's one person who is absent who expressed his support for the legislation and mm-hmm. has worked uh, with 
Senator Cornyn and Senator Tillis on it along, all along the way. And then there are a couple other members who are, are considering supporting. So uh, we'll see. But uh, look, it's, it's important to do something. And I think that is part of what this process has been about, is to show the American people that these horrific um, acts of violence that we saw in places like Texas or Buffalo, yeah. that we have some, some response. And again, the changes in mental health access through these community health centers, uh, I think may in the end be the most significant part of the legislation. Do you think that this bill, assuming it becomes a law, could have prevented Uvalde or Buffalo? Possibly, yeah, yeah. Through the background checks? Through the background checks and through identifying this individual uh, mm -hmm. through his mental health history, this was a suicide. And by the way, the vast majority, more than 95% of them are these yeah. mass shootings. So they are both uh, a horrific mass shooting of, in this case, kids and teachers, but also they are suicides. Uh, this young man absolutely intended to be killed in this mm -hmm. process. And that was part of why he did this, uh, according to what we know. But that would be typical of all these other mass shootings. So people sometimes ask me back home, well, what's the mental health component here? Yeah. Well, it's, it's clear to me. These are people who are, in effect, committing suicide um, and taking other people with them. Mm -hmm. Senator Portman, I want to ask you about reports uh, that Intel is reportedly telling some lawmakers that it's going to delay the groundbreaking for this massive computer chip plant that it's planning to uh, put in, in Ohio. I'm wondering if you got a heads up on this and if you're concerned, they're pointing to the delay in passing the CHIP Act as part of the bipartisan innovation law that just seems to be grinding forever. Uh, I did get a heads up and of course I'm disappointed because I'm really excited about this commitment to yeah. Ohio. It would be the largest economic development project in our state's history. And as important, it's about the future because semiconductor production is about the future economy and it's critical to our national security to have the ability to reshore some of that infrastructure uh, for making chips back to America. Mm -hmm. We designed these uh, semiconductors originally. Yeah. We used to have, uh, you know, 40 years ago, 37% of the production here in America, and now we're down to 12%. And if this legislation is not passed, I believe we'll be down to single digits mm -hmm. before long. I didn't realize this project, this campus, though, hinged on the CHIP Act. I thought that was a commitment that Intel made. Are you concerned they pull out altogether? No, I, I think from what I've heard that they plan to move forward. The question is timing. Mm -hmm. um, and they have other uh, countries around the world that are offering them, you know, huge incentives yeah. to build fabs in their countries. And that's because other countries in Europe and in Asia in particular understand that this is part of the future. It's sort of like you know, the countries that had the oil in the ground mm -hmm. benefited a lot over the last several decades. Countries that have semiconductor production uh, will benefit a lot going forward. Yeah. You see in places like Ohio, uh, trucks or cars, you know, parked at uh, large parking lots. And uh, a raceway in northern Kentucky, as an example, I saw recently as I flew into the, our airport in Cincinnati. And they're just waiting for semiconductors. Yes. I mean, so this is an example. If you've got a car on order, probably you're waiting. And probably it's because... The semiconductors, right. the supply chain is being constrained. Uh, it's, it's, it's an enormous problem for us right now. So we what's need the to timeline on this legislation? Do you, are senators serious about getting this done? I, I think so. Yeah. yeah, I've had lots of conversations even today about it. Um, and my hope is that we will make all the big decisions even before we go out on break mm -hmm. here today or tomorrow. And then over the next two weeks, you know, finalize some of those decisions so we can put the bill to a vote when we get back. It certainly is important to um, 
to move forward because of the competitive issue with our Asian uh, competitors yeah. and our European competitors. Um, it's also very important in my home state of Ohio. It's going to create not just thousands of great paying jobs eventually, but immediately thousands of construction jobs. Other companies will come in as suppliers, uh, which will create more and more opportunity. And these are good, high paying jobs. So mm. it's important we get this done. Senator Rob Portman, Republican from Ohio, speaking with us a little bit earlier today on Capitol Hill. We covered a lot of ground there. I want to get back to where we began, though, and that is with the Supreme Court ruling on guns and, of course, the gun legislation that is moving uh, through the Senate. You just heard from a Republican on this. Of course, this is Rob Portman, uh, and his uh, positions are not necessarily shared by the entire Republican caucus, as he is one of the 14 GOP members supporting this gun safety law. We're joined right now. This hour is really becoming uh, quite a conversation here as we're joined by Senator John Ossoff, Democrat from Georgia, uh, who has very strong feelings about all of this. Senator, welcome back to Bloomberg. It's great to have you. We're normally asking you about the Federal Reserve, which was, of course, part of your day yesterday talking to Jay Powell. But this ruling today is significant on many levels. The White House says it's disappointed. President Biden is urging states uh, to get things uh, moving on the legislative level to mitigate the impact of this. And a lot of Republicans, like we heard from earlier, Kevin Brady, uh, the congressman from Texas, say this is a good thing. What's your reaction to the Supreme Court today? Joe, thank you for having me, and good afternoon. Uh, I'm still reviewing the Supreme Court's ruling in full, uh, not yet in a position to comment on on their decision, having not been through it in detail. I do want to discuss, however, the action that the Senate's poised to take yeah. with bipartisan support uh, as early as this evening. Does this have any impact on it, Senator? Well, I think it's quite significant that the Senate uh, is going to take action and bipartisan action to advance gun safety legislation uh, for the first time in decades, um, and uh, that we're poised to have significant Republican as well as Democratic support yeah. for legislation uh, that is aimed at making it uh, more difficult for uh, those who pose a threat to their family members, their loved ones, their domestic partners, uh, and to children in our community um, who are seeking access to firearms. Uh, and uh, I want to commend Senator Murphy of Connecticut, Senator Cornyn of Texas, mm -hmm. uh, and the bipartisan negotiators uh, who brought this over the finish line for uh, their tireless efforts to that end. What do you tell Republican members, uh, Senator, who are concerned about due process? They say the red flag component of this law is is the problem. Of course, it's not a federal red flag uh, law. It's incentivizing states to start their own. Uh, but what would you tell them to assuage their concerns about what's in the language? Well, I think one of the reasons that there is such broad bipartisan support for this language uh, is that it is supportive of state efforts to implement red flag laws where states see fit to implement them. And that provision, uh, as well as the provisions that uh, slow down the process uh, when an 18 to 21 year old, for example, seeks to purchase a semi-automatic rifle, uh, are intended uh, to uh, reduce risk, imminent risk, to uh, family members, to domestic partners, to schools, and to children, uh, when those who uh, intend to do harm or are suffering from acute mental illness mm -hmm. uh, seek access to a firearm, potentially to um, embark upon one of these horrific 
spree killings that we see all too often in our society. Do you worry uh, that this Supreme Court decision today could could make more of a challenge for law enforcement, make more gun violence in our cities? When you look at the, the states that have similar laws, it means L.A., San Francisco, Boston, Newark, and so forth, Baltimore, uh, Senator. There are concerns uh, by mayors in those cities that this could, in, in the words of Eric Adams, create a wild, wild west kind of situation. Well, look, one of the things that I hear consistently across the state of Georgia uh, is strong support from law enforcement for common sense gun safety measures. Uh, it's our law enforcement officers who uh, typically have to enter these scenarios uh, where a, a suspect or an active shooter uh, is uh, heavily armed, yeah. and it's law enforcement who are among uh, the most vocal advocates for reform. We're spending time with Senator John Ossoff, Democrat from Georgia, and there are a lot of things we don't get to speak with you too often, Senator, that I'd love to ask you about. And, of course, high gas prices, high oil prices, and the the story of inflation is one that we talk a lot about here, and I know you do certainly on the Banking Committee in a direct conversation yesterday uh, with with Jay Powell. Uh, It's interesting to see what's going on here uh, because it's been so stubborn that that a lot of uh, lawmakers, a lot of your colleagues think the White House and the Fed uh, are running out of tools here. What do you want to see happen with regard to high oil and gas prices that that the Federal Reserve can't seem to impact? The, The White House today is asking oil executives to pump more. Is that the solution to this? Well, as for the Fed's stance, Uh, I don't think we're seeing that they lack the tools in their toolbox. I think it's clear that they were late to apply those tools and got behind the curve last year while insisting uh, that the threat was transitory um, and are now having to play catch up Mm -hmm. and in playing catch up, having to move more swiftly, uh, therefore uh, having a greater impact on market volatility. One of the questions that I asked Chair Powell yesterday was his assessment of uh, where He may see some uh, systemic risk or threats to financial stability in financial markets because the Fed is now moving quickly with a 75 uh, basis point hike uh, Mm -hmm. and potentially more to come. What kind of major trade may unwind? What uh, kind of uh, financial activity at uh, 2% uh, was sustainable, but at 3% is not? Uh, You know, we we have to, to be wary of where bubbles may have emerged in financial markets and capital markets after such a prolonged period of extraordinary low rates and a lot of uh, bond buying on top of it. Mm -hmm. Of course, you know, as as he's made the point, though, getting to oil and food prices, energy and food prices is very difficult uh, just by hiking interest rates. Uh, But I wonder your thoughts on tariffs as well. Should we be dropping, for instance, China tariffs if we're trying to do everything we can to lower inflation? I know that, for instance, uh, you're working on reducing tariffs against the U.S. Uh, when it comes to pecans, a, a, an important industry in Georgia, uh, with regard to, to India tariffs. Is this an avenue, Senator, we should be taking? Well, look, I think that the administration uh, should be actively considering the use of trade policy to uh, stabilize the price level for uh, products for American consumers. And I, I do want to highlight, and I think it's important that there is attention uh, to the major breakthrough that I've made with the U.S. Trade Representative's Office in the last 24 hours with respect to uh, the uh, barriers that India has erected 
to U.S. agricultural exports. My home state of Georgia produces uh, one-third of America's pecans, and uh, farmers in Georgia are seeking access to the Indian market, a massive market. India has a 36% tariff on pecan imports, but no domestic production. I've raised the issue repeatedly in recent weeks with India's ambassador to the United States. Yesterday had a very productive call with Ambassador Bianchi uh, at the U.S. Trade Representative's office, and we announced this morning, uh, my office and the Biden administration through the USTR, that we are going to put India's pecan tariffs at the very top of the U.S.-India trade agenda. Uh, That's a significant shift in our stance with respect to that bilateral trading relationship mm-hmm. uh, and something that I'm going to be pursuing in months to come. Are you, uh, you're clearly uh, doing what you can for pecan farmers in Georgia, Senators. The White House behind that effort? Is the Biden administration doing what it can? Well, I was really encouraged by the confirmation from the administration today, uh, from the U.S. Trade Representative, the chief trade negotiator for the Biden administration, um, that we are now going to put uh, India's pecan tariffs at the very top of our trade agenda with India. And there'll be upcoming talks in July. Uh, I'm considering leading a delegation to work toward accelerating a resolution of this. Victory is by no means assured, but for farmers in my state, those 36% tariffs are a major obstacle. Uh, And and so I I think it, it needs to be noted and represents a significant shift in our posture with respect to that bilateral trade relationship that now Uh, The Biden administration, the U.S. trade representative, are putting Indian pecan tariffs at the very top of our bilateral trade agenda. It's the politics of pecans. I hope you appreciate, Senator, this Yankee not calling them pecans to embarrass you on the air today. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what, you need to come down and uh, we can do a live show in a pecan orchard. There it is. Some of Georgia's finest products. We can talk about agricultural trade policy all day long. Sounds great. We We can wonk out. Uh, on the farm. Senator John Ossoff, thank you. Democrat from Georgia weighing in uh, unexpectedly on this special edition, as it turns out, of Bloomberg Sound On, the fastest hour in politics. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. We'll hear uh, from the panel coming up as we balance our twin leads today, the SCOTUS ruling on guns and the White House meeting with oil executives. We have a lot more on that ahead as well. We'll reassemble the panel next with uh, Rick and Jeannie as we Work our way through a very busy day here in the nation's capital. Thanks for joining us here. Uh, Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano on the politics of pecans. I think I can trust you on that, Rick Davis, as an Alabama boy. Uh, Nothing better than a little (laughs) pecan pie. Not like you Yankees call it pecans. Yeah, the pecans. You wouldn't even know what I was asking you for. In this particular case, though, uh, that's just one example. When When we're talking about the inflation story here and the many tariffs that this White House is considering right now that would that could have a meaningful impact on prices, Rick. Yeah, and look, I mean, there are there's a laundry list of items, especially with China, uh, where we have uh, tariffs already in place that are making consumer goods more expensive. And this administration has it within their power uh, to sort of ignore the geopolitical consequences of why those um, uh, tariffs were put in place to begin with and lower them that will, you know, have an impact on the cost of goods coming out of China. Uh, that, that's a little bit different of an issue than, you know, demanding that India open up its mm-hmm. markets to our agriculture, uh, which is a very good thing to do, too. But I, I just don't get the impression that this administration has a comprehensive 
attack on inflation. I mean, we you talked earlier to Kevin Brady and and we were talking about the the oil industry and he made I think a very salient point. You have a, a bunch of executives in your White House today and there's no evidence that they ask them to do anything other than can you produce more while at the same time the interior department is limiting their access to offshore drilling so yeah, right. i i honestly uh, uh struggle to understand what the administration's posture is on on inflation the meeting today was an important one Jeannie. we'll have a little more time for this later on but jennifer granholm the energy secretary we talked about it with uh, kevin brady uh earlier this hour asking for more production for more oil and no real conclusions to come from that meeting. We understand it was only about an hour long. What do you read into that? Yeah, I mean, I mean the, the, the fact is that I've all along criticized the administration for going out on things like this holiday um, and making statements, you know, the president sort of chastising some of these oil executives without meeting with them. And of course, you know, he sends Granholm in there today. Um, at the very least, if they're going to get asked for this, you know, gas holiday, they, they could secure some agreement that, that those costs would be or the savings would be passed on to consumers. They didn't do that. She has a short meeting today. So I think the problem for the White House is it comes off seeming very scattershot, like they're just throwing things to the wind and seeing what sticks. And that's a problem because their base and Americans as a whole want a consistent effort to address inflation and they want honesty here. And even his own Democratic Party pushing back on his his latest efforts with the holidays. So, you know, for the White House, I think this has been a misstep in the last Mm. few days. And, 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 you know, I hope they're able to get back on track. And in terms of tariffs, we've already heard that the president is going to announce not going to announce before he goes to the g7 um and i think in part that has to do with the base of the democratic party and labor should the president have gone in that meeting today rick i think if uh i were advising the president and that i'm the last guy they're going to ask for advice um i think i would tell them to have them into the oval office and yeah. lock the door and don't come out until we have a plan to <laughs> Uh, increase production, increase refining, and uh, and lower gas prices. And Is that what everybody sh- in lockstep. Is that what they should have done, Jeannie? Well, you know, the Democrats, we don't tend to lock people in offices the way Rick Davis does. But I don't know anything about I, it. I, we don't know anything about that. We just like our pecans. But, you know, I can see what Rick Davis is <laughs> saying. So I got it. I'm from the Northeast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to get back to uh, the gun story here, the SCOTUS ruling here. Uh, in a special conversation that we've been looking forward to with Adam Winkler, law professor from UCLA, who is joining us uh, in the middle of the flurry about what we should understand from this ruling, the precedent that it's setting for other states, what legislation might emerge here. But I'm just uh, curious to talk with Adam, and then we'll reassemble the panel so they can have a little more time to weigh in on this. Professor Winkler, thanks for being with us. A lot of folks saw this ruling coming. Uh, Now that it's here, is Eric Adams, the governor of New York, correct when he predicts wild, wild west in in inner cities where gun violence is already such a problem? Well, uh, let's hope not. I do think that we are going to see uh, an increasing number of uh, restrictions on concealed carry, even in these states where the May issue permitting has been overturned. We're going to see states broadly defined sensitive places to restrict where people can carry guns. And I think states like New York and California are not just going to throw up their hands and surrender to the Supreme Court, but are going to try to interpret this opinion in ways that allow them to continue to restrict concealed carry. Is it automatic, essentially, that the the laws in the states 
that are at issue here, those with similar laws to the one in New York, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Maryland, Hawaii, and California, uh, will all be in the same boat? It's not automatic, but it's all but automatic. We're going to see lawsuits filed against the concealed carry policies in those states, and those lawsuits will be successful in the long run. So um, we are seeing states already take up the mantle of reform and talking about different ways to start regulating concealed carry. The New York governor has already called for a special session of the legislature to figure out how they can continue to limit the number of guns on our streets. In a concurring opinion, uh, Justices Kavanaugh and Chief Justice Roberts said the ruling did not prevent states from requiring handgun owners to get a carry license. Kavanaugh said the decision did not affect uh, the shall-issue systems. The president referred to this today, shall-issue, in dozens of states that we're talking about where licenses have to be issued to anyone who meets set criteria. So how much will actually change? Well, I think we're going to see the law change significantly in the half dozen or so states like California, New York, and Massachusetts that do require, uh, have may issue permitting systems that give government some discretion. But I also think that part of the importance of understanding this ruling is that it will have a broad effect on other gun laws, too, beyond concealed carry restrictions. That's what I'd like to hear about. What What are you looking at? Yeah. Well, the court said that the only gun laws that are constitutionally permissible are ones that were either in effect in the 17 or 1800s or are sufficiently similar to laws that were in effect in the 17 and 1800s. And that poses a real risk for really the entire gun safety reform agenda. Bans on high-capacity magazines, bans on military-style rifles, even the red flag laws that are supposed to be encouraged by the Senate gun bill may be unconstitutional. We didn't have any law like that in the 17 or 1800s. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned this is going to be tied up in courts uh, for some time. There's, there are going to be a lot of lawsuits that come from this. Uh, what does that look like? How long could this be tied up? We're going to see lawsuits for years to come. You know, it's years. opinion in 2008. Well, boy, he was getting to something good there. It always happens right when they're getting to something good. Maybe we can uh, reconnect with uh, Professor... Winkler, Adam Winkler of the UCLA Law School. Uh, (laughs) Somebody said his phone needed a background check. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. This is the fastest hour in politics. It goes by so fast sometimes you just wish you could get a couple of seconds back. Why don't we take the time we have right now? Take advantage of this. This has been quite a flurry this hour. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do. That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time.
Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. We're just breaking all the rules today, and I'm certainly going to get in trouble as soon as I'm off the air. But that is why we have live radio. I'm glad you're with us. If you're showing up late here, you've missed a lot already, and that's why I'll encourage you to subscribe to the Sound On podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Can we get the professor back? Is he with us? We lost the line with uh, Professor Adam Winkler, who was making an important point that I really would love for him to finish before we reassemble the panel. Rick and Jeannie are standing by, and he is with us now. Professor, I'm sorry. Somebody got in the way. Uh, we'll, blame, uh, we'll blame the telecom gods on this one. But I just wanted you to finish your point specifically about how this ruling could impact other gun laws. If you could continue. That's right. Well, the court said that only those gun laws that were in effect in the 17 and 1800s are likely to be constitutionally permissible or laws that were sufficiently similar to those. And so in a place like California, we've got things like that in the 1800s. We have bans on military-style rifles that weren't in effect in the, eight, in the 17 and 1800s. We have bans on high-capacity magazines, uh, and those were, of course, not in effect in the 17 or 1800s. In fact, we didn't even have high-capacity magazines. Mm-hmm. No, you're it's not. going to lead to a lot of litigation, and a lot of gun laws are going to be second-guessed in the coming years. Great. Thank you for... Uh humoring me and coming back to finish your point. Adam Winkler, law professor at UCLA with us on Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington, and we reassemble our panel with Rick and Jeannie. As we started off with this, and we have tackled a few other topics along the way, uh, Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis, Bloomberg Politics contributors. Rick, your thought on this after hearing from the professor and the precedent that's being set? Yeah, I think that his point about uh, the proliferation of litigation around this is going to be really overwhelming for a lot of state courts. Uh, uh, This cracks the door open for uh, uh, people both on the side of uh, uh, the Second Amendment and looking at opportunities now to lessen the requirements like what he was talking about around high capacities and red flag laws. I mean, while the United States Senate has a bipartisan bill that's going to encourage red flag laws, mm-hmm. uh, it just shows you how disconnected uh, the Supreme Court is with what's <laughs> happening in the United States Congress. Well, isn't that uh, right? Although you heard Kevin Brady before, we heard Senator Rick Scott as well, uh, Rick, that this has become the line for a lot of Republicans who want to say no to this bill, that you know what, the red flag component is just a bridge too far. Sure. And, and, and states are willing to do it. And so maybe we continue to do this patchwork quilt of state laws around these kind of red flag laws. But now we have a Supreme Court decision that says, well, you know, if these things weren't uh, uh, settled law back in the 1800s, then 
you know, maybe they're not constitutional. So, yeah. uh, I, again, I mean, his point about the proliferation of litigation is disappointing because the last mm-hmm. thing the courts need to do is spend all their time litigating on the Second Amendment and not worrying about putting criminals away. What's your thought on that, Jeannie, that, that the red – this is not even a red flag law. It's an incentive for states to have their own red flag laws. Where is the unconstitutional component here? What would, what would your answer be to those concerns? Well, uh, you, you know, yeah, it, it, the the question, I think there's a lot more questions coming out of this decision than there are answers, because Not if you, you I, re- I read the, the decision and I read, you know, what I found Kavanaugh's very uh, confusing concurrence, and they those two seem to conflict. And of course, Kavanaugh and Roberts are in the majority, right? Because if you read what Kavanaugh and Roberts say, they say this isn't going to impact, you know, so many types of restrictions, including mm-hmm. background checks. Yet you listen to what the professor said, you read Thomas's decision, and there is a huge component in there, if anybody has a lot of time tonight, about originalism and what the professor said, which is that only laws that were in effect or are similar to those in effect at the founding would be considered constitutionally permissible. So right, right there you have a conflict between the concurrence and the majority. Yes. And to Rick's point and to the professor's point, you raise a whole host of litigation. You know, I think for many Republicans, they are saying in a restricted sense, the, con- the, the Supreme Court is just saying that you can't have subjective requirements for gun permits like New York had. That is, you know, a little bit more, uh, you know, uh, understandable to many people. But it's when you expand outside of that that it becomes problematic yeah. because, of course, background checks are objective. Yeah, th- look, this is not a legal show, and uh, God knows I am not a lawyer, Rick Davis, but I, it does strike me, this concurring opinion, to Jeannie's point, it, it, it certainly uh, argues with the with the majority opinion. Kavanaugh and Roberts say the ruling did not prevent states from requiring handgun owners to get a carry license. Don't they cancel each other out in a way? Well, not really. I mean, look, what, what New York was getting away with was was having this law that says that you may have one and that but you had no real subjective tangible right it was a subjective criteria that was left up to government bureaucrats to decide whether or not you could have one or not so in fact they didn't have a law that allowed it yeah and so what the what the supreme court did which i think is the part that's very clear is say set out your criteria make it make it very clear um, uh, as part of your regulations. We're not opposing that you do regulations around this issue. Texas has regulations. Most of the states that, that have concealed carry have right. regulations. Mm-hmm. And so promulgate those. It shouldn't be left up to a state bureaucrat to decide how the Second Amendment is going to apply. The government in New York and the city of New York has to set up criteria that everyone can see and follow and determine whether it's constitutional. Getting back to the president's response to this earlier, this was off the script. He was asked about it in a meeting that had to do with uh, green energy. This was his answer. There are, the gun laws in 40 of these states are still in place based on the decision. Not good enough, but it's. Uh, I think it's a bad decision. I think it's. I think it's not reasoned accurately, but I'm disappointed. So he doesn't like this, obviously, Jeannie. But as he says, 40 states will have no change. The concern is this half dozen uh, that have some pretty big cities inside them. 
That's right. And, and questions remain. For instance, you know, this was brought up in the oral, oral arguments in New York City in Times Square on New Year's Eve. Are you allowed to conceal and carry a weapon now? Mm. And of course, you know, a whole host of sensitive areas like churches and government offices. You know, some of those Thomas spoke to many. He did not, you know, for instance, sports stadiums and other things. And, you know, just on Rick's point about this subjective criteria, I, you know, I am a proponent of red flag laws. But what I'm hearing from some of my more conservative friends is that those are also subjective to this question of due process. Somebody yeah, has right. said that you are not stable to be carrying your gun. Mm. And a judge in that case, hopefully, will be making that determination based on your background. I have conservative friends who say that that is problematic when it comes to subjectivity. So this, I think, does, I know you spoke to Portman and you spoke to Ossoff. Yeah. They both said this isn't going to impact, uh, you know, the, what the Senate is doing. I think it may impact what the House does on this. Which I think, would derail the whole thing. Which would derail the whole thing. I think you may find you, you only need five or six of them. Democrats who say enough is enough. We're not letting conservatives get away with passing a PR bill to say they did something on Uvalde when it's a watered down gun safety, not gun control bill, especially after this ruling. Is, so I think we watch for that. Is Jeannie getting warmer, Rick? Uh, you know, I, I think that that obviously uh, in this kind of interpretation is is going to have ramifications, maybe with the red flag laws. But but again, you know, when you properly set up the regulations around it, I mean, the point she makes about you know carrying guns into sporting events and stuff. Yeah. All these states that have conceal and carry that do have regulations set up location restrictions in their state from where you cannot bring a gun. It's not a Wild West situation. It is a regulated situation. Mm -hmm. And so you, you can't bring them within 40 feet of a certain building, schools and government buildings. Right. You can't bring them into, you know, certain locations of public buildings. You but can't you bring can't make the whole events. city a sensitive zone, we've right. been told, right? You have to Correct. be more specific. So that won't be an option for uh, for Mayor Eric Adams in New York, who spoke to this again today. We have been preparing for this decision and will continue to do everything possible to work with our federal, state, and local partners to protect our city. We will collaborate with other mayors, municipality leaders, and governors, and will leave no unturned stone as we seek to undo and mitigate the damage that we are witnessing today. A lot of lawyers are about to make a lot of money here, Jeannie. Lobbyists, I suspect, will as well. But what what can New York do to mitigate the law in the in the words of the mayor? It, you know, it, it's going to be difficult. I think the legislature comes back. I think they try to, uh, you know, adjust to what the Supreme Court has done. And I think there are ways, examples in over 40 states to do that. Yeah. But I do think there is a real difference between, you know, New York, upstate and downstate. 10 million people in New York City, a gun, you know, arrest up 28 percent in the last year alone. They are fighting hard to keep crime down. And this takes away is the feeling of many law enforcement officials, their ability to to do that, or at least makes it harder for the moment. And that's what Eric Adams is responding to. What do you think about that, Rick, in terms of big cities like New York, who are just in a different world? They're dealing with a different reality uh, than, than states with rural areas that also have representatives arguing about this in the Capitol. No, for sure. I, I think I can't even fathom the complexities around policing and, 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 and fighting crime in a city like New York City. 
Uh, I would say that there are a lot of big cities nowhere near the size of New York City uh, in states that have concealed carry and and, and they've managed it. Uh, there are cities that um, uh, I think regulatorily um, uh, have, have done a good job with this kind of uh, uh, law. So uh, New York's going to have certain things that they're going to have to do and it'll be tested in the courts, I'm sure. Uh, but it doesn't mean that they're defenseless. And yet, uh, it you know, uh, I think it goes without saying, like what C- Congressman Brady said, was that the, the, the experiment of like the eight largest crime cities in America, you know, uh, only one of them is in a state with a concealed carry. Yeah. So, it, I, I mean, I, it, it may be oversimplification and I and I and I feel for people who have to navigate the legal <laughs> framework that the Supreme Court's yeah. just given us. But um, uh, I, I don't think it's un, I don't think it's undoable. Supreme Court's not done, guys. Um, we're going to get a ruling here on Roe v. Wade that is apparently imminent. Uh, we saw the reaction to this gun ruling today uh, in the media. We saw it with lawmakers in town. When that Roe decision comes down, Jeannie, there are a lot of concerns about what's going to happen. There are groups uh, threatening all kinds of stuff. There's this this night of rage you might have heard about that the White House even acknowledged yesterday that some activists are promising uh, if this comes down the wrong way. Is Washington ready for this? You know, I'm not sure we are, and I'm not sure Washington is. I noted in the dissent, you know, Justice Breyer starts out talking about the reality of the number of Americans killed by firearms in 2020, over 45,000 Americans. And what many people see as they look at a decision like Bruin and they look at a potential decision uh, like the Mississippi case on abortion is that a Supreme Court out of touch. Again, you Mm. read Justice Thomas's decision. He spends an inordinate amount of time talking about the 17 and 1800s and history. Now, I love that stuff, and I love myself some James Madison, but when you're talking about issues on the ground in reality, it feels like they may be a bit divorced, and that's what Breyer and the dissenters tried to touch on. And, you know, so if they're going to do what Rick is talking about, they've got to make sure their decisions are relevant to what people are going through. An out-of-touch Supreme Court becomes a Supreme Court like the one that walked us into the Civil War, and some of the other low points in the Supreme Court's history, of which there have been a few. Wow. Rick, if you're uh, preparing a lawmaker, or the president for that matter, uh, what's the process here, knowing that the court could rule on this even tomorrow? Yeah, I think actually one of the best things that's happened is the leak. Uh, And I'm not for leaks out of the Supreme Court, but Hmm. uh, at least we've had some time to prepare the American public for what is likely to be a rebuke of Roe v. Wade. And, yeah. and, and, and so I think the fact that there's no transparency in this process around the Supreme Court, right? There's no like uh, uh, ability to try and prepare the public for what comes down. And these mm-hmm. are seismic events mm-hmm. in public policy that affect millions, hundreds of millions of people all at one time. Uh, uh, so I, I think that, that from that perspective, we have to maintain the conversation. We have to keep talking about what the remedies are going to be. We have to be talking about like how states can adjust to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Professor Winkler was saying, there there's going to be a lot of litigation around this, and some of it That's will right. be successful. But from a some political perspective, won't. you're already writing that news release, correct? You've written the speech uh, for the senator you're advising. Uh, you know where your where your member is going to be the next day and what that news conference is going to look like. Oh, yeah, you've got this thing sitting on the desk waiting, just like the media is waiting for all the stories that are going to roll out of here. We know yeah. what those stories are going to be. We know right. those interviews are going to take place. 
Uh, and I would say uh, it's not insignificant. I mean, abortion went from not even the top 10 issues of this election cycle yep. to number one in many states because of this leaked abortion ruling. Is the White House ready, Jeannie? Uh, they should be ready. I'm not sure they are, but they should be. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis, what a conversation. We haven't taken a breath for an hour, thanks to Charlie Pellet. We made our way. On the fastest hour in politics, that's going to be one big honking podcast. Aren't you glad you subscribed? We'll meet you back here tomorrow. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.